And for, for me now, you know, a bit older in years, it, it's more about creating the the environment so that these young guys can come in and succeed, you know. I've done it the old school way. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did I think it was great? Yes. Has it made me the chef I am? Yes. Is it the right way? No. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Some chefs are built to solve problems. Backed by the foundation of their experience, they possess the ability to step into any kitchen and get the job done. A journey chef, a fixer. However you want to phrase it, they're a rare breed and much sought after team member for busy restaurants. Tony Gibson is the group chef of Sean Connolly Restaurants. Tony, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Nice to speak to you. It's good to have you on the show. Um, I've seen you in all manner of kitchens um, throughout your career, and um, you've really become the chef that other chefs rely on to come in and and solve problems and bolster the team. How did you become that chef? Yeah, um, I I guess just by chance, really. You know, I I worked with Sean for six years at the casino, and we kind of just developed a really good relationship. Um, And then, you know, I had about three years off just doing my own thing. Um, and I, I went from kind of restaurants to running a, a deli, you know, in David Jones, selling Reuben sandwiches for, for, for three years, which was a bit different. Um, but it just kind of, I just saw a different side of the indus- industry, a bit more dealing with customers. Um, and then I, and then we just kept in touch with Sean, you know, and, and as, as, as a business kind of grew and grew, it just became apparent that, you know, he couldn't do it by himself. Um, he needed a hand. and we were, we were getting all just very, very different types of venues to do, you know, multi, multi-faceted venues, you know, with more than one outlet or just, you know, casual venues and, and, it, and just all these different things. So I, I just, it just kind of fit in that I, that had, that I'd, built up this experience over the years and it was just a good fit you know I was in the right place at the right time and like I say we'd always kept in touch uh and as a business grew Sean just asked me if 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 I'd be interested to come on board and and kind of do that role you know go in set up the new venues train the staff um menu development uh and and all that sort of stuff and it's kind of just grown from that What's the challenges in a in a role like that, given that the venues are so different? But is there common sort of uh, themes and things that you approach to make that successful in in your role? Yeah, we try and you know it, it's a I'm I'm going to say loose, but it's it's quite a fluid. Let's say fluid. Um, it's quite a fluid business setup because everyone is so different. But you, you know, you've you've always got the challenge of 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 who the decision makers are, you know, who, who's putting the money in, how committed are they, how much do they know, how much do they want to spend, all that sort of stuff. That's your first hurdle. But we've been very lucky with the with the partners that we've chose. Um, and then, you know, every day it's what what's venue like? Is it a new venue? Are we starting from scratch? Are we, are we you know, taking an older venue and, and, and reimagining it? Um What's the staff like? You know, have you got staff? Is there enough staff? No, no, no. There's normally the answer to all of that. Um, so just, just, just all those things, you know, it's, it's, is it good? What's a venue like? 
what's the staff like and how much do we actually have to do to get it where we want it to be? Um, we, we, but we try to, the, the more we do, I guess the more um, regimented it is, if you like, you know, because we'll pick up, every time we do one, we just get a little bit better at it and, and we've picked up something and we've learned something. We'll, we'll try and bring that into the next the next venture so that it's, you know, it's always just getting better and better. And the service we offer is kind of growing and, and just becoming better as well. I want to have a look at the foundation that you built in your career to give you the ability to come in and sort of take on all different types of venues like this with Sean Connolly. Um, what was food like for you as a kid uh, in your family? I mean, I, I, I haven't got stories saying that, you know, my mum was a great chef, a great cook, and she inspired me. Uh, she hates me saying this because she was pretty terrible, really. But, you know, I grew up in the 70s, you know, and it was in the north of England. It, it wasn't very glamorous in those days, you know. It was, you know, every every day of the week was the same same meal, you know. That, And it, my mum my was a single parent. Um, my dad died when I was, you know, young. So my mum brought me up. So she was working. And it, it it was it was functional, you know, like Monday would be the leftovers from Sunday dinner, you know, like fry together. Tuesday would be uh, well, Tuesday would be mince and dumplings, and it would just go on and on and on like that. And then, kind of mid seventies, you know, I guess the world opened up a bit, Europe opened a bit, and 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 Saturdays would be kind of the experimental day. So my mum would always try to and do and do like something fancy on a Saturday, but. <laughs> But you know, it wasn't always good fancy. It was very so like bolognese would actually just be bolognese would just be the mince and dumplings with a tin of tomatoes in, and that and that would become the bolognese sauce. And that was like in 1970, that was cool, you know. And it, I just always remember it was so runny, you'd have to thicken it up with cheddar cheese, you know, because it, <laughs> it was just terrible. So I I haven't got. You know, I don't have inspiration. I, oh, my mum was always showing me how to cook. She she did what she had to do, you know. And it was tasty and it was all on. But that, my, my gran on my mum's side was a fantastic baker. She she would be baking all the time. She'd make these like plate pies, we call them. And they would be sweet or savoury. And, you know, in October, they'd go blackberry picking along the train lines and it would be blackberry pies, blackberry apple pies for weeks. And and she'd do like uh, corned beef and, and potato pies, but all, all, all in the plate, you know, she'd make young pastry, she'd do everything. That's really the only... I guess good cooking that I can remember growing up. And the rest of it was all just pretty functional and, and you know bolognese and then if you did chili it was the mince and onion <laughs> it was the mince and onion with tomato and but and uh, kidney beans, so that was your chili. <laughs> um and it, it just kinda of progressed like that. So but I guess an offset was that was that at, at a very young age I had to kinda of look after myself cooking wise. So, so by by sort of eleven or twelve, I, I was cooking my own stuff when I came in from school because my mum was still at work. Um, so, and I just, I just got interested in it. I enjoyed it. It wasn't really, I enjoyed doing it. It wasn't. I didn't think oh, I've got to make my own dinner tonight. I just, I was quite excited to do it, you know. And it, it, it was a lot of chicken dishes because ch- chicken was cheap. But I, I, I do do chicken every way you could imagine. You know, I'd curry it, I'd uh, fry it, I'd, I'd, I'd boil it, I'd do casseroles, 
And I kind of learned the demanded dismantle a chicken just by feel and it and now that I look back it was terrible you know like I didn't really have that 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 many knives but I would be like pulling the breast off and sticking my fingers under to get every bit of meat out and very very Neanderthal but very effective um and I guess that's kind of where I got well I just enjoyed it you know I always enjoyed it so I just kept going. You started your chefing career a bit older than than others. What what uh, flicked the switch on for you and made you go for a career as a chef? So, uh, man, when I was young, I had the, had the, all these aspirations to be this fancy businessman, you know. So, my, my, when in in school in those days, when you get the it was uh, third year, you had to pick your pick what subjects you want to do in the last three years, you know. So the first year that computers came in, everybody wanted to do it, you know, like virtually everybody in, in that year wanted to do computers and obviously you couldn't. So I I decided to pick another thing and I picked um, home economics. So for the last three years at school, instead of doing computers, I did, I learned to cook. Um, really basic stuff, you know. I still remember my old teacher, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Murphy, and I just, I just seemed to have, I, I had a really good hand with, um, with like pastries and that. I've got really cold fingers, so I was good. I was good at, at, at making pastries that, and I just enjoyed it. But I, I still, I still just wanted to be this flash businessman with a briefcase and a company car. So when I left school, I just didn't, I didn't go in, I didn't go into cooking at all. I did it. I enjoyed it, but it, it, it was never going to be my career. Um, and and then I I I fannied around for like <laughs> for about ten years, you know, trying to get this job with with a suit and a briefcase and a company car. And I did all sorts of stuff, mate. Mate, I I sold double glazing, I sold insurance, I sold vacuum cleaners door to door. I did all sorts, and then in the end, I got into I got into retail uh, and I used to sell jeans. So for like two or three years, I, I got right into retail and I kind of worked my way up. Um, and, and, but I still, all this time, I, I was still an avid cook at home. Like I was right into, I would say my, my first influences and, and I guess drivers to be a chef was like, I loved Keith Floyd. Um, I think I just like because you would always get wanked on on on. Oh, I'm allowed to say that, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You'd always get pissed up on TV and just have a good time. I thought, you know what, that looks all right. And he's getting paid for it, and he's going around traveling the world. And I was like, I'm, I, I wouldn't mind doing that, but it, it wasn't flash enough. So trying to get trying to get this job ended up in retail, and then. I was out for lunch with the training officer one day, a girl called Karen, we're just chatting about life generally. And she's like, she asked me, you know, is there, if you could change anything, like, you know, since you left school, is there anything you wish you would do different? And at this point, I'm like 24, 23, 24. And I'm like, you know what, Karen, I really wish I'd, I really wish I'd just gone into cooking straight from school. And she was like, oh, really? And I'm, yeah, so that that was that was on the Friday. By the by, the end of that weekend, it was just on my mind, on my mind, on my mind. I decided I decided on Monday that I was going to hand my notice in. I moved back home with my mum. I enrolled in in Newcastle College to do cooking, and and that was it. I was on. 
I was just like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to be a chef now. So that's how it all started. Was the was the commercial kitchen a, a, a shock to you? The environment of that compared to being a home cook? Um, it was a big shock. I, I mean, I've been very lucky in in the places that I've worked. Even even at that point, I, I've just managed to have really good head chefs who who I guess really pushed me. They could see that I was more than it wasn't a job, you know. Like I was really into it, so they pushed me to do better things. So my first head chef was this guy called Andy North, who was an um, ex-army guy. And and I first day in the kitchen, he come to meet me, and, he, and he's he's got you know the tuck on, and he's got it right down j- just above his eyes, and he's like regimented, and he's, he's he's like a sergeant, you know. He took me to the he took me to the notice board with all the functions on, and he said. He said, you've got to have two things to survive here. He said, you've got to be organized. He said, I like lists. I like lists for everything. He said, if you're in the shit, just write a list and work your way through it. He said, so you've got to be able to write lists. I'm like, yeah, all right. And he said, and you've got to have a sense of humor. I went, all right, well, I've got a sense of humor. And that was my first thing. And he kind of took me under his wing. He kind of pushed me to do stuff. He pushed me to do like little competitions and things. And he, and he started telling me about 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 London, you know, and 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 how I sh- how I need to go there, you know. I need to get out of Newcastle because there's nothing there for me. And if I really wanted to be a chef, I've I've got to get into London. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but he really he drove me. I, I still remember like the the first week he sent me downstairs to get um because <laughs> the kitchen was upstairs, the, the fridges were downstairs. There's this opposite central station Newcastle he said I'll oh, go and get me some uh either coriander or, or 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 parsley and you know what I didn't know I didn't know which one was which I knew it was one of them so I, I ran all the way back upstairs with like a bunch of parsley uh, and a bunch of coriander you know and much to the amusement of everybody you know they used to take the piss out of me all the time for that don't even know what coriander is don't even know what parsley but you know that's how I learned I just kept doing it and doing it. And and then and then I guess one day, one lunch, we used to get breaks then, which was a bit weird. But I went I went they'd all been talking about everybody'd been talking about Marco Pierre White, Marco Pierre White, you know. And I was like, uh, oh, who is it? You know, I knew nothing about him. So I went up to I went up to one of the, the bookshops on my break. I found White Heat and uh I just stood in the corner and read it for half an hour. I was like, that's it. I'm that's what I want to do, you know. It was I just wanted to. I just I just wanted to be in that kitchen, in that environment, in all the madness. So I, I just at that point, I just started sending sending letters to all the all the restaurants that I'd heard about in London. Um, I got a few replies. I, anyway, I got I got a reply from uh, from Le Gavroche to go down and do it go down and do a trial with uh, Michelle Rue. And uh, man, I was so out of my depths when I got in there. I just, you know, every, they did the service in French. It, it, I, I didn't even know what the dishes were. The, the, I remember on my trial, they had some uh, some f- foie gras from, from, um, from a fish, you know. 
and he was like, have, have you ever tasted that? And I'm like, I'm looking at it. It's just like this fish liver on the bench. I'm like, oh, no, I've, 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 I haven't, I've never tasted anything like that. So the, do a slice, cook it and give me it. I was like, whoa, what is that? Well, I was like, right, that's it. I want to go to that. But I didn't get the job because I, I just, mate, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I was so out of my depth. I just, I stood out like a sore thumb, you know. I've been working in this pretty average three-star hotel in in Newcastle, doing really basic hotel function food. And then I was in this three Michelin star restaurant. I just didn't have a clue. So I came home, but I knew I knew then that I just had had to get in, had to get to London. Um, and my first job was was at one of the Intercon hotels in, in Grosvenor Square. You, you worked with some incredible uh, people in London: Stephen Terry, Jason Atherton, Gordon Ramsay. What, do you have any stories of the influence that they had on you? So yeah, I got I got London um, in the Intercon, and. I thought that was it then. Like I'm in a five-star hotel in London. That's 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 it. I'm at the pinnacle. But then I got there and I just realised really quickly that hotel, there's too much politics in hotels and it's not about the food, it's about everything else. So I was there for about three months and, and then I started hearing about um, how this new restaurant was opening called Coast. Um, and Stephen Terry, who, was, who had just come from being... Um, Margot Pierre White sous chef, him and Gordon Ramsay were the sous chefs there. Steve Terry was going to be the be the head chef at this restaurant. So I applied there and um I went to do my trial. I got there at seven o'clock in the morning and I didn't leave I didn't leave the restaurant till two o'clock the next morning. And and I I just remember thinking like, fuck, this is it. I'm I'm this is amazing. So I went, I was like, yeah, he, he said, he offered me the job. I'm like, yeah, I want it. I want it. Um, so I had my notes in at the hotel and started the day, like, I don't know, a week later, what have you. And, and then that was my first, that was like my apprenticeship at Coast. Um, I did three years there. I worked every section, including pastry. And, um, and that's where, that's where I just came in, in, in the contact and met with some of the people who kind of formed, just taught me how to cook, formed how I cook, cook formed my work ethic and everything. So I was I was living with Jason Atherton, um, who doesn't need any introduction now. You know, he's got, I don't know how many restaurants Jason's got now, 20 restaurants around the world. Me and him lived together for seven years in London. So he, 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 he was a chef to party when I started. I was just a commie. And I just, I ended up following Jason around for like ten years because he uh, he was just so inspirational. I've never I've never worked with anybody who who's such a hard worker and put so much effort in. Well, I have actually since then, but I'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, just just a just a solid chef, you know. So it, it cost at the time there was Jason Atherton, Mark Sargent, Hal Jones, uh, Nathan from Felix, who's at Fe- who runs Felix now. Um, and and just all these absolutely amazing chefs. You know, a lot of them gone on to have Michelin stars from the of their own and run their own restaurants. And and that was the crew. You know, so for for three years we were just inseparable. So when you're in an environment like that, you just you just 
it just brings you up, you know, because everybody was shit hot there. Like everybody was a good chef. So you, you either sunk or swam. So I had to just get, and to be honest, I, I, I was out my depth all the time there as well. Cause these guys had all worked, they'd all come from Michelin star restaurants and I'd worked in a shitty hotel and then, and, and then, you know, quite a little bit better hotel than I'd come in there. I mean, I used to get caned. I used to get caned all the time, just, and it was hard, you know, like you're in at seven, you'd leave it. You'd never be out before midnight. You know, normally it was one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning sometimes by the, because it was, it was busy. You'd do 120 for lunch, 120 for dinner, seven days a week. You know, you'd have days off, but you, you, you know, you'd just sleep. It, it was just, you'd do your washing. You might make it to the pub. You'd have two pints in the, and then you'd fall asleep in the pub and you'd have to go home. Go home, go to sleep, uh, and and then start again. You know, but it it was pretty special time. I, like it, I, I've never been in a kitchen since that had so much talent in it. Um, and you, at the time you you did know, but you didn't really know, you know, how much people were going to go on to be great. Especially Jason, he just, you know, after we, so I worked with Jason after that, did all these restaurants, and we ended up go, we went to. To, to Dubai and um, and opened Gordon Ramsay's first restaurant in Dubai, which is called Ve, and uh, Glasshouse was a brasserie at, at the Hilton. Um, and, and then we did that, and then I, that was kind of my. So I just worked with Jason for all the time in London at all these different venues. Opened them. I was in pastry for about two years with him. Um, so I'd, that's where I, I got, got to do a lot of pastry. Um, and then once we got to Dubai, I just, I didn't really dig it in Dubai. It was very, uh, I found it very, um, I just didn't like the people, you know, I found it very racist and, and I just, I just didn't like the vibe. Like it was great, great in the restaurant to do it, but I just, I just didn't, I didn't, didn't gel with me. And, uh, and at the time I'd had an Australian girlfriend. So I always, at the back of my head, I always had like that. I wanted to come to Australia. Um, so when Dubai wasn't working out, I just, I just got a ticket from there straight to Australia and, um, came the first time, not really to work, just to really check it out. Um, and the first time I was here, I ended up, but I, was, I still didn't, I wasn't a backpacker. <laughs> Ooh, I wasn't a backpacker, but, um, I came and, and I still wanted to work. You know, I'd heard about all these restaurants. I'd heard about Rockpool, um, Really, only Rockpool and Tetsuya. That's what that's what I knew about in England. They were the first ones to kind of break it internationally. But then when I got here, you know, you you get the good food guides, as you do everywhere. That's how that's how I used to find my way around countries. You know, I get the good food guide and I and I check out the restaurants and I go. Um, and I ended up when I first came here doing um, going to work with Guillaume when he was at Key. Um, three hat and, and and for me it was it was like home from home because you know Guillaume's like very strict very european and and it was it was just like going from a kitchen in london to going to a, a european kitchen you know very strict loads of french people and and stuff like that so i i, I worked there and and when i was there the the two sous chefs were uh mark best was one of them and uh philip lebon was the other sous chef. So I became 
I, be, I became good friends with them. Came back to London. So I did a year here. Went back to London for a cheeky year and helped Jason and Steve open uh, Frisk Street in, in Soho. Did that for a year. Um, but by that time, I just had the bug of Australia. I just wanted to come back. Um, and I, I did a... In between coming back, I got a chance to go and work in New York. Um, so I... Uh, but I said I got the chance. I I just I booked I booked a week in New York. I'd arranged all these stages at um Le Bernardin, Danielle, um with Charlie Palmer at Oriole, uh with Greg Kunz at uh I can't remember what his restaurant was called now. So I just set up the these stages for a week. So I went there, I had a friend who I stayed with for the week and I, I just staged for the whole week in, in, in New York. And uh, I really liked it at it, it, Oriole with Charlie Palmer. Again, it was just like the home from home, you know, same characters in the kitchen, but just American. Um, and I said, them, I'm going to come back in September. And they were like, yeah, cool, cool, sure. Yeah, you know, come back. We'll have a job for you. So, and that was it. I went back, sorted my life out. And then, and then I just turned up. I just turned up in New York about three weeks later and, uh, Knocked on the door at Oriole, at Oriole and said, all right, um, <laughs> I want a job. And he was like, what visa have you got? I said, I haven't got a visa. I'm just here on a holiday visa. He's like, all right. He said, it's changed a bit since it, like since you were here, you know, like they're really cracking down. I said, well, I'm here now. Um, so I'm just going to come in and work every day. So anyway, I came in. I worked for about a week. We got two weeks free. And then, and then they were, you know, they could see that I was really keen. So they're like, "All right, look, we'll we'll just pay you under the table, but like, you know, you can't tell anybody <laughs> if we get caught. If you get caught, we're, we're fucked, you know. If, if they come in, he said, you know, if you, if you see people walking around with clipboards, he said, just you're just here for the day, you're just doing a stage, and then you're off tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, no problem, mate. So anyway, nothing happened. I ended up being there for about four or five months, um, just working illegally, and then. And then it was just time to come to Australia then. So, so came to Australia via via Mexico uh, and, and ended up in Australia. And by that time, Bestie had opened, uh, had opened Mark in, um, in Surrey Hills. So, and we'd become quite good friends at, um, when, when we were at, at Key with Guillaume. So I went in and... Had a chat with Mark. I, I did a stage at Rockpool. Didn't really like that. Um, and then I went to see Mark. And uh, he he had a job for us. So that was my first job when I came back to Australia, seriously. Do you have any stories of your time in the kitchen at Mark? How, how different was it compared to the kitchens you'd worked in previously? Um, yeah, quite much different, you know. I'd, I'd come from from Gordon Ramsay in England or in Dubai to that, you know, and, and I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, like in Gordon's restaurants, it's very, um, it, it, it's full on, you know, like it's people do what they do. Nobody talks, you know, it, it's quite a severe atmosphere, um, quite extreme, I would say. <laughs> and then where, where's it marked? You know, it was pretty chilled out, you know, best he's like, he's, he's He's a bit of a more chilled out character. He's not Gordon Ramsay, you know. He's a very different character. 
Um, so it, 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 I would say it was a bit more relaxed. Um, not, not as busy, not as in, I guess, intense in a different way, you know, it, it was more, I guess, flavor driven at Mark. Where, whereas it, you know, it, it, when you got three Michelin stars, it's not about creativity or, or anything like that. It's about being consistent and doing it the same every time. Whereas, you know, Mark at that time, he was, he was still just trying to make a name for himself. You know, it was, when I joined, it was two hats. Um, you know, and it, it, he had, Mark hadn't really got the recognition that he, he went on to get, you know, so it was, it was a bit more, I guess, trying, trying to find a way rather than just trying to maintain it. So it was very different in that respect. Um, but again, you know, I was very lucky again to be in a kitchen with that amount of talent. When I was there, it was when I first got there. So Brent was the, uh, Brent Savage was the head chef. There was me, um, Passy was in pastry, and Dan Hong was the apprentice. So, it, and then, you know, so, and then, so Brent leaves to go to, to go to um, Melbourne when he did that year or so in Melbourne. I stepped up to head chef, and, I, and so I had, I had Passy and Pastry. Uh, Dan, Dan is one of the apprentices. I had another apprentice, a guy called Charles, who, who was a really good chef. He'd come from, through Steve Manfredi and that. Uh, and a, a German guy, Ruben, who's who since gone back to Germany and opened his own Michelin star place there, you know? So again, it was just a kitchen full of, just full of talent, you know? Um, and again, at the time, we didn't really know how much talent was there, you know? Who would have thought Dan would have gone on to be Dan and, and Passy would, would would go on to be Passy, you know? So it, it, it was a good time, um, but very different, very different from uh, from England and Europe, but in a good way, in a good way. You've had a working relationship uh, with Sean Connolly for a couple of decades now uh, on and off in various roles and various venues. How did that re- relationship begin? So when I was at Mark, um, I was at Mark for two years and then Mark, it, it was just when he was kind of expanding. So he he, he, he took on the place around, uh, around the corner where Brent took over. And, and and then he also had the four in hand. Um, and originally, Passy went down to the four in hand to open that. I stayed at Mark. Brent went round the corner to, uh, I can't remember what the name of that place was, to open that in the little wine bar thing. Yeah. Um, and and then Passy, Passy decided he was going to go to Europe and, and, do, and do stuff over there for a bit. So Passy left the four in hand and I, and I, then I took over at the four in hand um, and did, I guess, probably a year at the four in hand. And then, it, it, to be honest, it wasn't really a good uh, business model for Mark because he, he, he was just taking, you know, doing food revenue and, and there was just no money in it. So after a, after, after a year or so, he, he, he stepped away from that. Um, but Passy had come back, Passy had gone into head chef at, at Mark at that point. And that there wasn't really there just there wasn't really a position for me. Um and, and so I just start I started applying for, for jobs. Um 
a job came up for the the exec chef at, um, at Astral at the casino um, when it used to be on the top floor there, 17th floor. So I went did an interview for that, uh, cooked some some food for Sean. Like I say, we hit it off, um, and and that was kind of the beginning of the first. I was I was at Astral and Sean's kitchen for six years at the casino. Um, and that, and that's where the relationship started. What's it been like working with Sean over the years? Yeah, good mate, very good. Um, it, it's you know I would always say that that you know probably Jason Atherton taught me how to cook. Um, but it it wasn't really till I started working for Sean how how I learned to see the other side, how to run a restaurant, you know, and and all the all the stuff that you need to know other than just cooking. Because up to that point, I just thought you just had to be a good cook. And uh, and that was enough, you know, which is, which is as we all know, is far from the truth. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's actually a really small, small part of it. You need to know about marketing and, 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 and plateware and, and wine and, you know, how does a restaurant look? How does the staff talk? To the, there's all this. And, and, it, and over the years, I've, I've, I've learned a lot of that from Sean, you know. He's very good at running restaurants, and he's he's got really good eye for detail and, and and things that you know a lot of people would just miss. He picks up on. So it it, it was very good, and in it, you know, it was a again, I I, I doubt very much whether I'll, I'll ever be in the position that me and Sean were in at the casino, um, and 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 the. I guess the things we had at our disposal to 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 make the restaurant great. Um, it it was a very very a very good, a very plentiful time. <laughs> um, that could only that could only be, be experienced in a casino, you know. Like it, it it was ludicrous, but but fun, you know. So I learned a lot from that, and then it. it you know, me and Sean, there's only a couple of months between us age-wise. We're both from the north of England. We've got a similar taste in music. Um, we just get on. We just get on with each other, you know. And we're, we're, we're both very driven in, in, you know, in striving to to get the best out of every, everything, whatever we do, whatever it is. We always want to get the best. Um, so it, it's just been a good a good marriage. Um but we, you know, after the casino, Sean left the casino uh, and I left pretty much two or three weeks later because I was really only there to work with him. Um, he didn't really have any, you know, when he left, he didn't really know what he was going to do. Um, so I, I just kind of started looking to do things on my own. Um, and, 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 you know, I ended up after that at um, Manly Pavilion. Um, which, which I, 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 I kind of pinched myself when I got that gig because I, I was good friends with Jonathan. I knew he was leaving. He rang me actually to ask me if I would be interested, and I said, "Yeah, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm definitely interested." Um, and it, you know, what a venue! It's still, I mean, what a beautiful, amazing venue that is. Um. But it, you know, it, it, again, you know, it's not just about the food. 
it's it's about everything you know the owners have to be right the the backing has to be there there's a lot of things you know um and and a lot of things you don't have any control of unfortunately you've got to go go with the flows you know one of the interesting things that you said at the top of the show was there was a, a brief hiatus from um, your career as a chef in sort of top-end restaurants where you were selling Reuben sandwiches at, at David Jones. Can, can you tell us, do you have any stories of that time and how that happened? Yeah, that, that started, um, I, I, I had a, so there's that two or three year period where I, I never really, really, I never really found the right thing. I never got in, you know, there was always, it seemed good, but it never turned out to be anything that it could. So I, I did Manny Pavilion, the guys went bust, um, and then I, and then I did I set up a place with Kingsley Smith, uh, Smith, some beers water. Again, you know, not enough money in it. That kind of didn't survive. So at the time there, we we put on a, a, um, Kingsley wanted me to put on a Reuben sandwich in the bar. I'd never, I didn't really know what a Reuben was. And, and and as I tend to do, I just kind of researched the shit out of it. You know, the best way to do it, the original way to do it, you know, and, and, and I just got right into it and it became a bit of an obsession. Um, so we had it on at, at the, uh, at, at Smith's and, and my sous chef at the time, a guy called John said, I, I asked him, I said, do you reckon people would buy this at the market? And he's like, maybe people would buy that anyway. So I'm like, all right. So, and by that point, I'd gone from, you know, cooking it, I'd kind of jazzed it up a bit. So it, it was all traditional. The the marinating and, and the, the brine and everyone was all traditional. But when I was cooking it, I was sous vide it and cooking it for, for 72 hours. So it was kind of old and new like old flavors but it, you just got the, this amazing product cooking it sous vide because you know for all the reasons why sous vide's good and and at the time at the time you could still get you could brisket was the, the secondary cut still and i could i could pick a wagon brisket for ten dollars a kilo which i i, I dare not think what it is now wagon brisket so i was i was just taking all this old brisket off off you know, off Havericks and off off Clayton Wright that they couldn't sell, brining it and then make and then cooking it sous vide for three days and making this amazing pastrami and corned beef. Uh, so, and I and I would do it once a month at the farmers markets and then, you know, I'd, put, I'd do three or four hundred sandwiches in in one day and I was like, maybe maybe I can make, you know, maybe I should get one every week. So, and then I took on Bondi markets. So I was doing Bondi three three weeks of the month, and then on the the last month I would do the Growers Market, it you know Sydney Morning Herald Growers Market, and it just grew and grew and grew, and then got to the point where it was it took up so much of my time, I could I had to decide I had I had to do one or the other, uh, um. And in this time, I, I, I took a job with um, with uh, Tonchi down at Wildfire, um, which I was only there for about eight months. But it, it you know, it, it, not really my not my thing at all. But I was interested in, in seeing how 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 the meat worked, the churrasco, and and it, and it 
you know, it 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 was a it, it was just a, a new thing to learn for me, you know. But it just got to the point where the, the Rubens were taking up so much of my time, I had to make a decision: do I want to do it or do I not? So I just bit the bullet and and said, right, I'm I'm going to get out of restaurants and I'm going to concentrate on the on the Rubens. And then just by chance, I got offered a gig at a pop up at one of the pubs in the city. I did that for uh, probably six months. And while I was there, the guys from David Jones came in for lunch and, and approached me and I, to see if I wanted to do it in, in David Jones. And I was like, uh, yeah, all right. Because, because it was good fun at the pub, but it was hard, hard to make money, you know. You've got to sell a lot of sandwiches. And, and, and I just thought, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to sell 400 sandwiches every day for lunch like I do at the markets. And that and it's going to be fine, you know. But the reality was, it was just, you know, there was ups and downs. It was quiet some days. And anyway, so I thought, yeah, David Jones, that's the thing. I'm into David Jones, and and, and I was, to be honest, I was a bit, I was a bit blinded by the whole David Jones glory, you know, like I'm in the full hole of David Jones. So I did, I did, I did Bondi first. I made and that was hard to make money, you know. You think there's a lot of money up there, but the all the old Jewish ladies were all suspicious of me because of because I wasn't Jewish and what did I know about matzo ball soup and because I, I developed it into this whole kind of New York deli, you know, full on like matzo ball soup and pickles and and chopped liver and all very authentic, you know. But I wasn't Jewish, so they were very suspicious of me. Eventually, you win them over, you know. You give them a free bowl of matzo ball soup and they're like, oh, yeah, it's all right that. So. So uh, I, I really, really worked Bondi. Uh, that went in. It got to a place where it was kind of holding its own, and then they offered me the city. So I went in the city, Market Street, and again I thought, then oh, that's it. I'm sorted now. Market Street in the city is going to be banging. And you know, you get there, and the reality is, it, it was like busy for an hour and a half, and then. You're open till seven o'clock at night, and you're, you're doing like three or four sandwiches for in in a six hour period. It just I didn't research it enough. I was blinded by the glory of David Jones, um, and in the end, I just wasn't making any money, you know. Um, and I, I just I just I was missing restaurants. I was missing service, and just the whole the whole buzz around it. Um, and by that by that point, um, Jason Atherton had decided he was going to open uh, Kensington Street here, uh, his first restaurant in England. So you know we 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 always kept in touch, and he, he was always talking about it, and he was he was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it it, it became a thing. Um, so I I I went back into restaurants at Kensington Street. Um, which was good, but in the meantime, that you know that was delayed nearly a year. I had nothing to do, so a friend of mine was the bar, was the restaurant manager at, at this new restaurant that had opened, where they were just cooking everything on fire, you know, fire door. And uh, he said, "Oh, look, mate, we're in the shit for chefs. There's not enough, you know. Do you want to, do you want to just come and give him a hand for a couple of weeks while you're waiting for?" Uh, Kensington Street at home. I said, "Yeah, mate. Why not?" 
uh, and then that's how I ended up working for for Lennox and ended up being, well, I ended up instead of three weeks I was there for eight months um, and then Kensington Street opened um, and you know however however long it was open and and then after that I just, I, just, I just had to go back I had to go back and work with Lennox after that I just I just had the uh, I just had the bug by then mate he completely you know, I was saying before that that Jason was probably the hardest person, hardest working person I've ever worked for. But I would have to say probably Lennox is up there as well, as a, as just a, a grafter. And you know, I'd never, when I went to work with Lennox, he said, "Oh, have you ever, <laughs> well, well, you know about cooking on fire?" You know, I'm like, "I mean, I've got a barbecue." Um, I said, "But I'll be honest, that's about it." He was like, "Right." He said, "Well, it's a bit different." So, I mean, the first night there, I was on the. It was when before they had the hearth and they had that. Used to have that auger in the back on the grill section, and I remember I, there was meant to be an Irish guy showing us, but the pastry chef had left, so he had to go down and do pastry. So I was just thrown on there by myself. I didn't have. A, I didn't know where to get the coals from. I was shit scared of opening that oven. It was like scary, you know, a thousand degrees. I'm like, I'm going nowhere near that. Like, not getting calls out of that. I had to keep asking Lennox for calls for the grill. And uh, it gets to nine o'clock and I'm like, it's like, it's freezing. on the, the oven's cold. The oven's cold. He's like, have you been putting wood in? I'm like, you've got to put wood in the oven as well. Fuck, oh, I haven't. So the oven went down and it was just this complete epiphany of like, I thought, I don't know anything about cooking, you know, like I, I really don't know how to cook properly. Um, so after, after Kensington street was shutting, I, I, an opportunity came up to, to go and work with Lennox again, that the, the head chef had left Mickey and, uh, I was just right place, right time. I went, I popped in to see him and he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't really know at the minute, mate. I, I, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. And and he had another job. He had a job, so I was like, "All right." So I, I ended up doing probably maybe another twelve months, ten or twelve months with Lennox. Then, so about eighty months all up, which was like I said, just a I get a real breath of fresh air. But but me, it was hard for an old man like me. <laughs> You, you've been um, opening all sorts of venues with Sean Connolly uh, recently. Um, you're working on something at the moment. What, what's, what are you working on that you're about to open? Yeah, quite exciting. We're just about to open uh, QT in the city at Goings. Um, we, uh, it's been in the pipeline for about a year. A year ago, we, we, we got offered the chance to do the new QT in Auckland. Um. And we we did that last we opened just Christmas last year and um went really, really well. Um the company loved it and on on the back of that we got we got offered the opportunity to do um to rebrand the goings in the city. So we've been working on that for probably a year, um and it's all kind of coming into fruition now. So we opened to the public on uh Friday this week. Um and we're just getting ready to do go into you know a few dry openings tomorrow and Wednesday, and then a big a big 
dinner for all the board members on Thursday, and then we throw the doors open on Friday. So, yeah, very exciting, very exciting. Your career has led you all over the globe. What what do you love about what you do? Um, I guess one of the things is exactly what you've just said, you know. When I, when I first decided I was going to be a chef, I had this kind of crazy idea that I would um, I w- I would I would qualify as a chef. I would specialize in Japanese food. I'd get a job on a on, on a cruise boat and then travel the world, and then, and then then I'd get off where I wanted to stay. And in it, I mean, I never qualified, so I never finished my training. I never specialized in Japanese food and I never got a ship on a, a job on a ship. But it did allow me, you know, I worked in New York, I worked in Dubai, I worked in Australia. It allowed me to do that. And and it was only because I was a chef that I was able to secure jobs in those countries, you know. Um, so that that it has always been something that I love about it. And the fact that I know that if if I wanted to change, you know, if I decide I don't want to be in Australia anymore and I want to go to another country, I know that still, it would still hold true today that I could get a job because I was a chef, you know. So I like that. Um, I like the fact that, and for, for me now, you know, a bit older in years, it, it's more about about creating the the environment so so that these young guys can come in and succeed, you know. I've 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 done it the old school way, um, you know. Like I'm saying, hundred hours a week w- wouldn't be far short in London. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did I think it was great? Yes. Has it made me the chef I am? Yes. Is it the right way? No, definitely not. You know, it's so out of date. It's it's just wrong. So. Like at my point now, I'm lucky to be in an opportunity where I can, you know, put things into place that hopefully is making, you know, it's making the industry a bit better. It's making it a, a more appealing thing for young kids to come into. You know, you know, we're not going to fleece you for, for 80 hours a week and pay you for 38. Um, you're going to get paid for what you work. We're going to give you tools, you know, to make you successful. And and I and I really love that. I love I love the opportunity to, to develop this. You know, every every time we do a new restaurant, we we pick up something, we learn something, and we add it to the package that we can bring into the next restaurant. And I find that really exciting now to be able to do that. To uh, you know, to come up with systems and 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 ways of cooking things, and that make it easier and better for 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 the kids to. to to, to, to do you know and come into it so I, I i really enjoy that at the minute well tony good luck with the new project and congratulations on on what you guys are doing um please keep in touch and uh we'll catch up again soon i will mate it's been a pleasure thanks mate appreciate it anthony this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.